Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. We're talking about Almost Here. Around the Corner Technologies. And I have Gordon Wallace from the University of Wollongong. Uh, Gordon, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, Rich. Good. Um, you know, would you fill listeners in on what, what's your background and expertise? What are we going to be talking about today? Okay, so my background goes back a long way in, in research. Uh, so for the last 30 years or so, we've been looking at developing uh, new materials with a particular interest in medical applications. So, and along that journey, we found that uh, it was great to discover the fundamental properties of those materials, but it was really impossible to get them into structures and devices uh, using traditional fabrication approaches and certainly traditional manufacturing. Uh, so we got involved some 15 years ago in, in thinking about how we could develop uh, new printing technologies or fiber spinning technologies in order to create the, the new fabrication methods of the future and of course uh, the whole area of additive fabrication or 3D printing has really exploded over that time. Yeah, so within 3D printing, you know, additive manufacturing, what are you looking to create? What's your focus right now? What kind of materials and you know, for what applications? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of them are driven by practical clinical challenges. Uh, so just to give you a couple of examples, uh, one is in cartilage regeneration, so for in damaged knees, for example. Uh, there we're looking at creating scaffolds containing adipose stem cells or fat stem cells that are in the right uh, mechanical and chemical environment uh, to induce uh, the development of those stem cells into functional cartilage. Uh, so that's one 3D printing project we have ongoing at the moment. Uh, another is for islet cell transplantation. So this is a recognized cell therapy for treating diabetes. Uh, but what we'd like to do is use uh, 3D printing to ensure that those islet cells to be transplanted from a donor uh, are actually protected during the transplantation process uh, and afterwards by surrounding them in the right mechanical environment, but also with the right supporting cells, uh, which will ensure uh, the survival of more of them uh, after, uh, during and after the transplantation. Uh, so, so there are a couple that are at the at the clinical end, uh, and uh, of course along that journey there are many applications that come from clinicians that are much shorter term. And so, just to give one example of that is in the area of, of glaucoma implants, a, a little device that relieves or regulates the pressure in the eye of glaucoma patients. Uh, and again, a colleague that we work with, uh, an ophthalmologist, has designed and developed new ideas around regulating that pressure, and we've been able to assist his work in, in creating 3D printed objects to do that. So is your work more of the mechanical side of facilitating transplants taking, or is it more in the, uh, the chemical and the cell side, and making sure there's no rejections and the, the cells are the right kind of cells and all that? Well, thank uh, Richard. It's the combination of all three of those. Uh, you, you, 
you can't really ignore any of those aspects uh, of a device containing uh, the living cells. So the mechanical properties are important. You know, the stiffness is important in order to facilitate uh, the regeneration of certain types of tissue. Uh, the cell material interactions are very important. Uh, certain cells will interact with particular uh, materials. And, and of course, a lot of that is dictated by the uh, the, the chemistry of, of the scaffold, the actual types of molecules that we use to create uh, that scaffold. Now, uh, and, and that inventory of those molecules is is really expanding quite rapidly. Uh, and that molecular yeah. structure that we start with, of course, dictates all of those other properties, and it also dictates whether we can print it or not. You know why I ask you um, which what's important out of this? Because it's not yet widespread that we can do 3D printing of organs and do transplants and all these other stuff. It seems like such a difficult problem with so many aspects to it. It makes me wonder how could one person hopefully be able to tackle all the issues, you know, the chemistry, the physical parts, the 3D printing expertise. You know, I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's just, it seems like a, a a huge task to be able to understand all this and and be an expert in it, you know. Absolutely, Richard. If you meet one person that can do this, I'd be really like to meet them. Uh, <laughs> they'd be they'd be quite an incredible person. Uh, within our team here at Wollongong, uh, we have uh, 150 researchers working on different aspects of things. Uh, wow. That's the headquarters for a national center of excellence. Uh, which also has another probably 120, 150 researchers distributed around the country. Uh, we work with hospitals all over the country, so there's many clinicians involved in what we're doing. Uh, and then we have lots of international linkages as well uh, on the research front, but also on the clinical front in hospitals. So it's a it's a mammoth effort, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we've had to bring together the best and the skills from around the globe and in material science, uh, in biology, uh, stem cell biology, uh, you know, the physics and the, the chemistry of, of systems that, that involve interactions with those cells, uh, and also a very strong group of mechatronic engineers. So I, I don't think you can do all of this uh, materials and ink development we've just been speaking about and, and understanding the, the material cell interactions without having a team of mechatronic engineers working alongside, designing and building new 3D printers and new 3D printing technologies uh, for particular mm. tasks at hand. Uh, we, we do have a nice commercial suites of those instruments available, but uh, we've found that for all of our clinical applications, we've had to build uh, dedicated, customized uh, printers to actually get the best performance out of the printed structure that we want to get. So because you work with so many researchers and, you, you know, you have all these uh, talents at hand, I would think you have a, you know, more of an overview perspective of, again, what's required, which you just talked about. But what's possible right now or will be in the very near term and what's still a ways away, a few years away in terms of, uh, you know, transplants and 3D printing and, you know, things to help the body? What's a few examples? Yeah, sure. So, uh as I mentioned some simple things earlier on, like the, the glucoma implants. Of course, there's uh, metal implants that are being used now to replace parts of the body, like a uh, uh, part of a heel, for example, as a surgeon in Melbourne, Professor Peter Chung, 
he's done that operation. Uh, there's a company in Melbourne, Anatomics, who have made a, a 3D metal printed sternum uh, to, to replace one that had to be replaced in, in patients. Uh, so, so those sorts of things are happening. Those, those structural components are being built uh, and implanted at the moment. Uh, the, the, the next cab off the rank is really augmenting these recognized cell therapies. So uh, when I mentioned transplantation before, it was really transplantation of, of donor cells. So these islet cells are taken from a donor uh, and at, at the moment injected into a, a patient to treat the type 1 diabetes. But if we can augment that process and make it much more efficient uh, by using 3D printing of those cells in a scaffold and surrounding them with the appropriate uh, proteins and cells uh, to get better performance out of them, that's obviously you know, that's not a huge step forward technologically, but it's a combination of huge steps in 3D printing and, and huge steps in cell therapy. So I can see those being realized in uh, you know a handful of years. Uh, and, and also other approaches that do uh, just facilitate tissue regeneration. So like the cartilage regeneration, what we're doing is we're not trying to replace everything. We're trying to use 3D printing to, to, to create an environment that facilitates natural regeneration of, of, of tissue, be that cartilage, uh, be it nerve repair or, or muscle regeneration. Uh, and, and again, those, those are well within reach now. People also talk, of course, about building complete artificial organs, and that's that's right. that's possible. There are a few more technical challenges to be overcome, uh, but it would be a brave person that would say that that won't be realised in uh, in you know the next ten to twenty years. And and I say that because the the, the advances in the last five years have been so staggering, uh, and I just see the next generation of researchers equipped in so much better in so much many better ways uh, that I can imagine that the progress will just continue to accelerate, at least in the in the near future. Mm. So what would be your guess? I know no one knows, but in the next, you know, five to ten years, um, what do you think is possible that will amaze you? What are you, what are you hoping for? What do you think that it's reasonable that it could be here that, that would just be like, wow? Yeah, yeah, look at... <laughs> Uh, and, and this is an honest answer, Rich. I, I'm amazed every week uh, by the advances in uh, 3D bioprinting. Uh, so the, the, the accumulation of that over the next five years is just uh, mind-blowing. Uh, but but I, I, certainly someone will, uh, and I hope that we can contribute to this, will create uh, fully 3D printed uh, and functional artificial organs. Uh, and as I say, I hope that we're part of that uh, over the next 10 20 years, and I'm sure we will be. Uh, the work that we're doing on on organ regeneration or facilitating that, uh, that damage repair, of course, is creating platforms that tells us a lot about how these materials react with the appropriate types of cells in order to create appropriate types of tissue and, and tissue structures. So I, I'm sure that uh, we'll see great advances in that area. And uh, as I say, we're, we're we're excited to be part of it, and we hope we can make a contribution to it. Yeah, amazing. Um, what are some of the technical challenges that people may not know about? You know, like again, to the outside person, they just want this 3D printed organ, for instance. You know, like out of the box, there's a kidney. 
but I know you see behind the scenes on what it really takes to get all this done. So what are some of the, the toughest challenges that may cross over to all kinds of, um, you know, things that, that people want to accomplish? What are like the big ones? Yeah, look, I, I think most people would acknowledge that the big challenge at the moment is being able to engineer and, and print uh, into these structures uh, an appropriate vascular structure uh, so that we can keep these things alive for long periods of time. Uh, but there, there are 3D printing approaches that are being examined by numerous people uh, that, that recognize that challenge and uh, are tackling that challenge. So, so that, is a, that, that is a big a big technical challenge, but it's not an insurmountable one. Uh, and I think what's critical to success and critical to timely progress is making sure that we do have that uh, diversity of skills that we just talked about before, uh, working under the same roof with the same vision uh, to tackle these big challenges, because that's going to ensure that we get get there as, as quickly as possible. So in particular, what's what's your set of skills that, you know, what, what set of skills do you have that's the most advanced and how are you contributing specifically? Uh, you're talking about me personally? Yeah, yeah. Um, me personally, my, my set of skills is being able to uh, recognize and, and work with some of the most talented uh, researchers uh, from around the world in, in all of these different areas. Uh, uh, it's their skills that's really making all of this possible. Uh, we, we all share in this vision to push 3D bioprinting as, as much as we can and as quickly as we can. And, and part of the reason of, for that is that we work with uh, very dedicated clinicians who've identified and articulated very clearly for us uh, big medical challenges that, that need to be overcome. Uh, and 3D bioprinting certainly seems to add some uh, had some encouragement to the fact that we can make a dent, we can make great progress and, and contribute to solving these medical challenges. Um, and just another, we often talk about 3D printing just as being a practical way to create structures and, and to create devices. And, and of course, it is that, and it's, it's great at doing that. But it also changes how we think about fundamental research exploration. So, you know, this ability to put cells where you want them in, in 3D and to surround them with other materials or chemicals that could be stimuli or even other types of cells. I mean, this is starting to give us fundamental insights into cell biology that we didn't have before. So uh, there's not many technologies that come around that, that span uh, this, this whole spectrum of saying, well, you know, we can really make a difference in the clinical area. But actually, we can actually start to make a difference in the fundamental research area as well. Yeah, so, so my contribution to all of that, Rich, is just uh, having the, the, the privilege of working with some incredibly talented people that, that are able to address those, uh, those issues. That's great. Um, any, any insights into the fundamental biology that you've seen because you work with such great people? I mean, anything you've learned that yeah. like, really surprised you? Yeah, look, I think it's surprising others around the world as well, and uh, maybe it shouldn't, but you know, biology is three-dimensional, and, and if you look at the fundamental explorations uh, that have been ongoing for, for some time that have created some amazing insights, most of that has been in two-dimensional uh, cell culture studies. Uh, and we're starting to see, uh, as are others around the world, that the behavior from 2D to 3D is fundamentally different. 
uh, and that we really need to be creating these arranged 3D structures of cells uh, on the bench if we're going to get insights into the development of diseases that we don't uh, quite understand. And you know, that's things like we work with uh, clinicians on uh, fundamental studies into uh, schizophrenia and epilepsy, for example. Uh, and you know, the, the insights from the, the 3D studies are, are just amazing. Yeah, why is it so hard to um, to 3D print an organ, for instance, in terms of the vascularity? I've heard this from a number of researchers. You know, if a if a tissue is a millimeter or a, I don't know what the distance is, let's say a millimeter or more away from a blood supply, it can't survive. Like, I guess I didn't realize in the human body, how vascular are we? Like, how far away is any given cell away from a blood supply? And why is it so hard to do? Incredibly vascular, and uh, so there's very complex networks that are keeping all of our organs alive, and uh, you know, right down to submicron capillaries uh, or tens of micron capillaries, uh, and and so that that sort of resolution on a biological printer is just not uh, achievable at at the moment. Uh, so getting down to very very fine capillaries and uh, very complex networks. So, so there's the, there's the challenge. It, it's well defined. It's it's well articulated, and uh, uh, and I'm sure that it it can be addressed. That is being addressed uh, using some very clever ways to assemble things uh, using 3D bioprinting. How about you know you know you you guys are innovating, creating all kinds of amazing stuff. But what about adoption and use by surgeons and by you know different healthcare practitioners? It seems like you know, the medical industry worldwide is very slow to adopt things. And, you know, in the U.S., we have clinical trials. And you know, I've heard in Japan they're trying to fast-track things. But, you know, you create something there research-wise. How long is it taking to get out into the public? And, and are doctors actually using this stuff? Or are they afraid and sticking with traditional methods? No, the, the, look, as, as with any industry, there will be those that uh, stick to to the traditional, and uh, and so that, and so there should be that balance. Uh, but there will be clinicians who understand uh, that there needs to be use of these advances in technologies to solve some medical challenges that can't be solved with traditional methods. And so uh, there are clinicians, doctors, ready to uptake these technologies after they have gone through the appropriate safety trials and the appropriate animal trials. Uh, but it is a little bit different, as you said. Uh, you mentioned clinical trials. Of course, it's very difficult to do a, a clinical trial uh, on something that's been customized uh, for an individual uh, to treat a particular mm. disease in that particular individual. So the other important part of our team that we need to take along with us are those concerned with uh, regulatory affairs, for example, uh, and, and having them think about uh, how this can best be regulated right from the start uh, is very important. Uh, and I know that you mentioned that, uh, of course, these things are on the agenda, I think, in many countries around the world, and that's great. And, and we as researchers and uh, scientists, engineers, clinicians, we need to be working closely with those uh, regulatory uh, people uh, as the technologies develop uh, and not wait until it's there, ready to go, and then spend another five to ten years working out how to regulate it. Right, exactly, yeah. Because it seems like the the 
the process to bring these to market and commercialize them is like 15 years for um, for many things I've heard about, which is just exceptionally long. If you're sick or dying, you know, you certainly don't want to wait uh, just five more years or just 10 more years in order to get a therapy. So any um, yeah. any recommendations or breakthroughs in terms of policy or speed to market that you're seeing? Yeah, look, I, I think the one approach it's been uh, looked at at the moment, uh, and it seems sensible to me, is to regulate the process uh, rather than the end product, because the end product is going to be different uh, every time. Uh, and so I think by regulating the process, I can imagine that certain uh, hospitals and clinicians, uh, along with licensed operators, uh, will uh, be able to produce different types of devices for uh, clinical challenges, because we have to we have to go through the regulatory process for every single little tweak uh, in an implantable 3D printed device. That's going to be unmanageable to start with. And, and as you say, it's just going to take far too long. So I, I'm really hopeful that there's something sensible around regulating the processes for 3D bioprinting facilities in licensed hospitals with licensed operators uh, will be what eventuates. Yeah, you talked about something I haven't considered. You said. Um... A lot of these applications are highly customized, even down to a single person. So how is that going to interact with, with regulation? I mean, I guess maybe you answered it, you know, the process and not the end product, but what else would need to, needs to be done so that we can have personalized therapies down to the individual? Yeah, look, I, I, I can't think of any other sensible approach other than regulating the, the process and licensing operators. Uh, because you can't do a clinical trial like you can do with a drug. Uh, you know, you get a whole population of people and you have a placebo group and you compare the effectiveness of that drug. It, it, this is a different, a, a different way of treating uh, individuals. And, and so you know, we, we need to make sure that the, the regulatory processes fit with this. I mean, this, is, this whole advance will have too much of an impact on medical treatments and our and, and the ability to help people that have debilitating diseases, we can't just ignore this. So we have to get our, our thinking caps on and, and figure out how we do regulate uh, these processes and, and these devices and structures uh, as the technology evolves. Okay. Um, any other challenges or insights? Because you have this unique position where you can see. So much research going on, so many things happening. Um, anything we haven't covered that you think that you know the public's just completely unaware of, just because they're not in the position you're in? Yeah, look, I, I think we've touched on most of it. Uh, I think you know the, the building of truly multidisciplinary collaborative teams that have all the skills and, and and importantly are driven by the clinical challenge. So the input of the clinicians is is essential. It's critical to uh, identifying the challenge, but it's also critical to addressing uh, the, the challenge. Uh, and so building those teams is important. Uh, we've got good global co uh, collaborations in the area, and that will help all of us to progress as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, and yeah, I, it, it's an exciting uh, time. Uh, and But I could understand how people outside the area might be a bit wary because the advances are so rapid and, and so something that 
we're very conscious of is not just engaging with the, the regulatory authorities, for example, but just engaging with the community, engaging with those who have an interest in these areas to uh, to keep them abreast of, of the developments as best as we can. Uh, because in the end, uh, the community has to accept these advances if it's going to become uh, applied, if it's going to if these advances are to be implemented uh, in the clinical environment. Yeah, and I guess, I guess last question, um, what areas, even you know, parts of the body, do you see where the medicine is very old and hasn't changed in a while? And what areas do you see um, really rapid advancement? And you know, like the same thing going forward. There, I would guess there's parts that just really haven't been addressed very much versus other ones. Yeah, I, I'm probably not the right person to ask on that, Rich. I mean, I, I, I'm of course very familiar with the the areas that we're addressing because they've been brought to us as as things that haven't been solved with traditional medical approaches. But you know, that's probably the tip of an iceberg of uh, many many things that have been solved and addressed. Uh, with all of the approaches and technologies that, that have been used in the medical world uh, over decades, if not centuries. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm aware of the challenges. Okay. I guess the last thing is, uh, how do you feel about the human body now versus you did years ago when you were involved in all this stuff? Uh, yeah, look, it, it, I, I guess we're all interested in enhancing human performance and the uh, and sometimes that involves uh, addressing ailments that, that are sometimes very debilitating ailments that uh, individuals have to suffer. So that, that's what really drives us, you know, the, the, the ability to have those, well, the, the opportunity to have those challenges presented to us and, and the ability and the, the wherewithal to be able to do something about it is, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting, but it, it's also, of course, uh, it's something that we are aware that we have a responsibility to deliver things as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, very good, Gordon. I, you know, I, I love what you have to say. Like I said, you're very gracious about yourself and all your colleagues and, and the work you're doing. And I can hear that it's, uh, you know, it's just many astounding things. Um, what's the best way for listeners to learn more about all the research you guys are doing? I mean, you, with 150 Researchers, you guys are supposed to be putting out a lot of work. You know, what's the best yeah, way for people yeah. to learn more? Uh, so we've got a website, uh, electromaterials.edu.au. Okay. Is that, that, so that would be the best way for people to engage? Yeah, that's probably the best way to start. And and also, uh, we, we run a, well, we don't run it, the futurelearn.com. Uh, run an introductory MOOC on 3D bioprinting that we put together as well. And that's, that's a great introduction, uh, not only to the technologies, but to the clinicians that we work with. Uh, it's a free uh, master token online course that runs through futurelearn.com. Futurelearn.com, great. Well, Gordon, thanks so much for doing this podcast. Uh, it's been a really great interview, and I, I really appreciate all your insights. No worries, mate. Nice to talk to you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.